Welcome to the One Giant Podcast, a sportscaster featured podcast covering all things New York football giants. Live every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday morning on Sportscaster, bringing balance to the analytics and emotions of covering Big Blue. Here are your hosts, Adam Armbrecht and Andy Mekowitz. And with that, it's the Monday OGP, friends, where, as always, I am Adam Armbrecht and joined by the healthy, wealthy, and wise Mr. Andrew Magowitz. I forgot how good it feels to wake up Monday morning and want to tune into Sports Talk Radio, want to check all the sports websites. It's been a long time, Adam, and man, I will take my victory lap today. You better believe it, sir. So obviously we come in. This is a long time waiting for New York Giants fans. And that's where we start, right? One giant recap with the Giants win over the Washington football team. And there's a, there's some reasons for maybe a bit of a victory lap, not just for the for Big Blue, but also for yours truly. Uh, walk us through it, Andy. We had our pregame. We talked about it on social. We gave our predictions. I thought this one was going to be close. Had the Giants winning by a touchdown. Was I, I felt good. I feel like I was close to the mark here. And yet, you darn near put that right in the center of the bullseye. It's like playing golf, getting closest to the pin is what it feels like, you know. Um, it, the, the one thing that I said to to recap the our preview on Sunday was we'll get a touchdown on offense, a touchdown on defense, a couple of field goals, and the Giants will escape with a win. And that's literally what the New York football Giants did. Um, you know, we, we highlighted the, the best prop bet that I thought of the day was will the Giants score a defensive touchdown? And you had asked me uh, on our on our preview. Is it going to be an interception? Is it going to be a fumble? And I said, that's the beauty of Kyle Allen being back there and a terrible offensive line is we kind of get a two for one. There's going to be some kind of turnover. You know, Bradbury had an early interception. I was praying that he was going to take that to the house and he got tackled before it. But, oh, Kyle Allen surely steps up and, and delivers for me later on in the game. It was a beauty, man. Listen, there, there's so many so many positive things to take out of this game, but that specifically, we don't always hit it on the mark, but when you start to get a sense of a team, and really the Kyle Allen thought that you presented on the front end of this game, that was the key one because he looked pretty good, and we'll get into some of that stuff here, but ultimately, this is what you get with a player like that. He can do everything pretty well between the 20s and even when you get down to that red zone, but he's also going to have a couple of these game-changing plays, and that's really what we saw over the course of this one so as we turn our page into some of the fine details here where by the way i was 24 17 calling for the giants victory so i you know i feel like listen i don't take a full lap i pull a hammy like three quarters of the way around the track but i still feel pretty good about what i said you know I, 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 you're, you're close i mean i mean final score 20 to 19 we'll obviously get into how we got there and uh how much we love watching riverboat ron i mean that that's me <laughs> I, I don't think there's a single giant fan that was that was sitting down when they decided to go for two. Like I, I think it's like everyone in unison just raises up and is staring at the TV standing there. I mean, I, I didn't even need to see you to know that that's what you were doing. As we go, I will say, as we go into some of those key plays on both sides of the ball for this game, there's there's some weird mentality. Whenever you watch, you ever see like head coaches on the sidelines, right? They always get their their hands always get like onto their knees and they're slightly crouched over. And they're it's like if I lean a little bit farther out onto the field, I'm really gonna get the the value of this next play that's coming up for my team. That happens to be a lot of times in the apartment, right? Like you just start standing up 
kind of get that lean going on. You tuck the hat down a little bit lower and you say, this is it, boys. Come on. Whatever weird, uh, you know, whatever weird juju you put out there into the universe, I feel like you start to fall into those patterns. So yesterday, thankfully, for the most part, I kept myself just relaxed on the sofa. Maybe I felt like, oh, this is the one we should be winning easily. Got a little tighter down the stretch and still able to pull it out. So let's start on what I think we both agree is the biggest side of the football here for Big Blue. And that's the defensive side of things. Listen, we, we've been highlighting this, I, I think, around the NFL. The Giants defense is starting to get some more credit as the weeks go by. Is this the stiffest opponent to take on? Obviously not. But when you mention the play of Kyle Allen and where you think you can capitalize, you still have to go out there and make those big plays. And I think we really saw it from the front seven in the linebacking core, and then, of course, in the secondary as well. When you walk through this, what are the big plays you loved, and what are some of those even individual matchups that we highlighted pregame that played themselves out here on Sunday? Well, I mean, our linebacking core ended up really delivering. You know, it's tough with, uh, you know, Lorenzo Carter being out, um, you know, Eximenez being out. You kind of look to say who is going to be the player that was going to step up, and and man, did Tay Crowder step up. He played excellent. Um, you know, even outside of the fumble recovery on the Kyler, Kyler Fackrell uh, uh, sack fumble that he had mm-hmm. against Kyle Allen, Tate Crowder had 10 tackles. He was all over the field. We knew that we were going to get a huge game from someone like Blake Martinez. He had 14 uh, total tackles. He was all over the field as well. Um, Leonard Williams was getting in the backfield uh, with consistency. And, you know, not, not to steal all the thunder, but, mm-hmm. I mean, is it safe to say that James Bradbury might be the best cornerback, playing the best football of any cornerback in the league right now? Yeah, listen, coming into this game, he was top five uh, in the league at, at the cornerback position, rating out, as we sometimes throw out this reference point of pro football focus, 85 in the game. So, you know, you go back to the week prior, and we had talked about where was the disappearing act from Amari Cooper. Well, that was specifically around the work that James Bradbury was doing. I will just briefly say, too, you mentioned some of those names that were in there. One of the tip of the hats I want to give out is to Blake Martinez, who looked like on one play, as a doc, as I say, Dr. Armbrecht here, pulled like a pec muscle or something. Looked like he overextended himself on a tackle. I got real concerned real quick that we weren't maybe going to see him on the field throughout this game. And I just like the toughness, the grittiness that he brought to it by showing up, getting himself back out there, even though he took off a handful of plays. Uh, Mayo came in in relief of him and then really got himself again, right back out there, got the job done. So I appreciated that. But from a Bradbury standpoint, we said, Unlike Dallas, the big weapon here for Washington is obviously McLaurin. You want to be able to shut him down and force, quote, the others to beat you up. And and now, listen, coming into it, you said, right, 70, I think, was the over-under for uh, Terry McLaurin in terms of yards. Did get to 74 on seven catches, but very much was mitigated. And by the way, Washington, so if you're thinking, well, is that the stat line that Bradbury suffered? No. Washington actually made a real concerted effort to try to get him anywhere on the field except lined up against Bradbury. So this is now becoming a key matchup for opposing offenses to see, acknowledge, and then say, how are we going to mitigate losing arguably one of our best weapons? How do we put him in a different position to have some success? And that's nice, man, because on a game-to-game, week-to-week basis, when you can dictate some things to the other team, that's how you start to get a team out of their rhythm. And that's what we have in, in, in Bradbury now. We have a guy that coming into a game, they say, okay, how do we scheme and, and get McLaurin somewhere else? And as soon as you do that, you're asking your offense to do something different than they normally maybe do. 
you hit the nail on the head. The second that you can apply pressure so that a team doesn't have all of their options available going into a game, you start moving them down a path that you want them to go. It's like, you know, when Dak was healthy for the Dallas Cowboys, they know that they're going to be able to throw the ball all around. No one's going to stop their passing attack. So you have to, as a defense, think about how you're going to handle them. You know, for the Giants, having Bradbury, like you said, they all of a sudden take half of the playbook for Terry McLaurin and they have to kind of put it to the side and say that's not a priority because we just can't have him going up against Bradbury every play. We'll be losing one of our best assets. And I think, um, you know, in terms of targets thrown towards Bradbury, I think there was only like a couple of catches for like 15 yards when it was thrown in his direction. Oh, and by the way, he also had an interception in this game. So he has been awesome. He has been wonderful. Logan Ryan, what a great signing he has been. He has really helped solidify that back end. You know, we're going into this with, you know, McKinney getting hurt and Beal opting out and all, all these different things happening in the secondary. He has really looked great in terms of solidifying that back piece. And he's the type of player that is on a one-year deal that I think likes playing in New York, hometown guy. I could see him re-signing for a couple of different years to stick around during this kind of rebuild transformation the Giants are going through. Yeah, and I wanted to get those stats up on Bradbury. Unfortunately, can't get those individual game logs right now on the advanced metrics for him. But what you can say about him is that so far in this season, he's been targeted 30 times, surrendered just 17 completions, a 56 percentage. So he's done a really nice job there. Uh, 13% on the missed tackles. We've talked about bringing that number consistently down. But I like what he's doing so far. And now, and by the way, he's also only surrendered two touchdowns to this point of the season, seven yards per target. So he's kept everything in front of him. We'll come back in on Wednesday and clean up that stat for you just in terms of what he surrendered in this game and how Washington was forced to look other places in order to accomplish that. Um, Elsewhere on the defense, was there any other big plays that jumped out of you? Obviously, we saw Love get some more snaps in this game. He does get, you know, the touchdowns against him. You and I talked about it in real time that, boy, you'd like to see him. Get, just get his head around, I think, is really what you're looking for there. Because even though they say it's almost like a foot disparity between target and defender, as I said it to you, he he didn't really have to elevate, though. This ball was thrown nicely, but it was in a spot inside shoulder. And if Love gets his head around, he can do that. But still nice to see him out there on the field, indicating maybe defensively uh, Patrick Graham is just saying, hey, week to week, matchup to matchup, we're still going to get in some of these guys. So happy to see he hasn't fallen into, let's say, the uh, Ballantine category, right, where you're special teamers and you're really not going to see a lot of time on defense. Yeah, it, that Love play was tough because Kyle Allen did throw an amazing ball like yeah. that that is it, it was feathered in there so uh, you know while we'd like to see julian you know turn around maybe get a hand on it break that one up you know kudos to to off you know the offense for running a better play the, the last thing i'll say on the defensive side of the ball is we were also able to stop the run we were effective against the run game you know the the washington football team only had three and a half yards per carry Mm-hmm. Um, so when, when you start dictating them and saying Kyle Allen needs to beat us, as we talked about before, that's where these mistakes come in, where you get him in, uh, you know, long, long distance situations, throws the interception, makes critical mistakes while he's getting sacked. And ultimately it's the reason why the giants came out on top. Yeah, loved the play from Leonard Williams as well, and also really loved the effectiveness of uh, Dexter Lawrence, especially on the two-point conversion attempt there at the end of this one with 36 seconds to go, where he manages, sexy Dexy managed to get himself out on the edge and just keep the quarterback from being able to get forward a little bit and make that choice about maybe I want to scamper forward and run for this thing. He does just enough with that big body to shift it to the outside and force Allen to try to find a target. And obviously it comes up short there in the end zone and uh, river wrote Ron sends with love a victory to big blue. 
Let's flip our attention quickly over here to the offensive side of the ball, where obviously we're talking about a bit of a pendulum swing here, right? We, we don't know what we're getting still. The, the lovely for me, these are the obvious ones, beautiful touch pass over the top from Daniel Jones to Darius Slayton on that touchdown play. We know that Slayton dealing with a foot injury basically popped onto this field for a handful of plays. And when he did, they were big catches for big chain moving uh, yardage. So that was really nice to see. And now you still hope that he's okay coming out of it. The other side, obviously, is the offensive line, keeping Chase Young off the back of Daniel Jones. What did you like here? And just, what you know, where's the murkiness? Where are we still trying to figure some things out offensively? But sing the praises first, because that's what we want this Monday morning to be. So Daniel Jones with his feet, that run that he had was awesome. You know, Daniel Jones ended up being our leading rusher, I believe again, which probably not the best thing in the world, but seven for 74 yards. This is the type of, of offense that I want to run with Daniel Jones. I want him to use his legs to make plays. And obviously it was a 49 yard run down the sideline. That, that was the catalyst of that. But even outside of that, he still had 25 other yards rushing, which, is great. If we can get Daniel Jones, you know, over 30 yards rushing, 40 yards rushing in a game that shows that we're bringing a different dynamic. You know, the other piece of it is while it doesn't show up on the stat sheet, I thought Devonta Freeman looked really good running the football. Mm-hmm. Like he, he was making some different jump cuts. He was getting the yards when we needed them. He only ended up having about 60, 65 yards and it was about three and a half yards to carry the same that Washington did but it just felt like he was picking up first downs or making, you know, good plays falling forward, giving the offense an opportunity to continue to move the ball. Whereas before we're kind of getting, you know, two or three yard losses. We're not being able to do anything uh, during the rushing attack. And that really makes Daniel Jones uh, put in a tough position. Yeah, for sure. You know, we were saying coming into this, I thought maybe a little more Wayne Gallman because we've seen the uptick in terms of him being on the field. But I, I think what we really got here was just the identity of saying what we want is consistency. And even though we've liked Gallman over the years, we also know. He's not, he hasn't been a consistent back. That's why he hasn't found more snaps. So as Freeman continues to find his rhythm in this offense, it's just nice to be able to give him the ball, know that you're going to get those three to four yards, had a long of 14. Like you said, 18 for 61, it's nothing to write home about. But touching back on what you said with Daniel Jones there, you know, I, I think that when you say 30 yards a game, listen, I, I think that ne- that number can even move a little bit higher than that. I know there's the, the enormous play where, by the way, the cameraman gets totally thrown off there in the, in the live game action where I couldn't, those are the best. Tell. Well, I, I, yeah, I was waiting for them to say, "Boy," and Freeman gets blown up in the back in the backfield there because they just held on him. He got tackled, and then all of a sudden they just shoved this camera upfield, and you just see Daniel Jones like a gazelle sprinting down the sideline before he gets taken down. There's another great number of great plays like that though. Ran up the gut on a QB draw in the red zone that got him down to the two. You know, so. I think these design runs are hopefully going to continue to be the evolution of this offense with Daniel Jones. And like you say, he ends up giving you 74 yards. And if you want to go all purpose here, then it makes his stat line look a little bit better for you because unfortunately, Daniel Jones in this one only threw for what does that final number end up being? 112, 112 yards. yards. Yeah, 112. So- he completed 12 passes. He threw, He completed 12 passes in the game in the Giants won. I thought that going into the season, there was not a single instance where if you told me that Daniel Jones was going to complete 12 passes, that we would win a game. And here right. we are. Well, and again, so to highlight even further, the value of Darius Slayton is, you know, he was had four targets, two receptions, 41 yards, and a touchdown. The 23-yard uh, touchdown there obviously came off of Daniel Jones. But that second play was to move the chains on a third down, right? And you're still talking about, 
an 18-yard pass play there to Darius Slayton. Outside of that, when you go in the numbers, Jones spread the ball around, quote-unquote. Uh, Austin Mack got his first catch for a glorious one yard. But then, you know, single catch for Board, single catch for Deion Lewis, Golden Tate, just one for 11, three catches for Caden Smith, and one of those came on a key third down in the red zone on about, I think, a third and three there that he converted. And then two for Evan Ingram, had that nice, long 21-yard pass play early, but... You know, in terms of playmakers, we know we want Evan Ingram to be that. That's what he's supposed to do. But, boy, we are just not getting the consistency from anywhere else than specifically Darius Slayton. Uh, You know, so it's hard to look at them and say, you know, where is Daniel Jones supposed to be looking in these situations, even on a day when, for the most part, the offensive line, which experienced a, a wrinkle in their lineup as well, Played pretty good and mitigated a front seven for the uh, for the Washington football team that has, I think, five first-round picks there across the front. And I'll throw out, Andy, before you dive in with this key stat. Coming into it, 99 pressures the Giants have surrendered onto Daniel Jones over those first five weeks. They gave up just five here in week number six. They were averaging almost 20 pressures a game to start this season. So they really cleaned things up across the offensive line to give Daniel Jones, to give Freeman some opportunity to at least be consistent and move this ball. Uh, you know, <clears throat> after looking at the recap and just seeing where w- what happened with our wide receiving core, you know, we already talked about the good. Let me talk about the bad now. Uh, you know, you look at, CJ Board's injury was really tough to watch. Um, yeah. You know, reports are coming back relatively positive um, in terms of, of his health and his update. So we really do hope CJ Board gets better as soon as possible. Um, you look at Austin Mack, he did uh, draw pass interference penalty on a critical play down in the red zone, which helped the Giants put some points on the board. Mm-hmm. But one catch for Board, one catch for Tate, one catch for Mack. It, this is just so glaring to me how much this team is missing Sterling Shepard. And, you know, people have different opinions on whether or not he's a number one. Should he be paid this much? He's a slot receiver. None of that matters when you look at those stats and say, outside of Darius Slayton, our wide receiving core caught three balls. And yeah. we need someone else out there that Daniel Jones can turn to. And not not all of this is necessarily on uh, on the wide receivers themselves. They're trying to make plays, but only 19 total passes in the game because the run game was going. We just need Sterling Shepard back as soon as possible to give Daniel Jones another compliment because yeah, Golden Tate is just, it's, it's alarming how quickly it feels like it's falling off a cliff for him where, you know, you're surprised if he gets three catches in a game now. Yeah, and when you think ahead to that Thursday night matchup, right, short week for the Giants, obviously, and Slayton looking like he could very well use a night off potentially, and I, I love the gutsiness of him in this game because it's probably I, I would uh, bar you know barring I, I, he's the reason they won this game, like outside of obviously the big defensive plays, but I don't I think if you don't have him on the field then you're just talking about Daniel Jones needing to run for 150 yards because you're not even going to be able to move the ball through the air. Um, imagine Thursday night. No CJ board. He's still out. Obviously Darius Slayton says, uh, my, my ankle isn't, isn't feeling too well. Then we don't even know if Sterling Shepard is still going to be activated and come off of IR yet. You're talking about only having Austin Mack and, and what else on the roster at that point? Like we, we golden Tate, that, that's it. Like you'd have those two active wide receivers. So the giants are going to have some decisions and we'll go through that on, on the Wednesday, um, show just about what, what the Giants are going to do at the wide receiver position, but it's starting to be an area of area of concern. The the last thing I will say about the offense is while Daniel Jones looked good on the ground, 
he needs to stop making these mistakes in the red zone. Yeah. Daniel Jones cannot be throwing balls up from the 10 yard line and just giving away free interceptions. And people will say, Oh, well, his, his arm got hit. It was a little bit of, you know, wonky. Th- like, no, other quarterbacks are not making these critical mistakes with the same frequency that Daniel Jones is. So whether his arm is getting hit or not, then he's got to tuck the ball, take the sack and take, and take the three points. He cannot be turning it over and giving up these red zone opportunities. It's inexcusable anymore. And while we do feel positive about the Giants getting a W here, that to me was was the 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 worst part of Daniel Jones's game, and he's still not showing progress there. Yeah, listen, we still are on the Daniel Jones train. You know, it, it, it's uh, slowing down. It hasn't. It's not nearly getting to its destination as quickly as we thought it would. But there's still so many positive things. And when you look at the lack of receiving core, and you talk about well, once Darius Slayton isn't in the game, you see how things really fall apart around Daniel Jones. So you understand, hey, the weapon, the collection, collection of weapons here just isn't what we thought it was going to be. Obviously, Barkley getting injured doesn't help that situation either. But in these plays, right, you can go micro and say, well, as he rolls out, you can see he wants to throw the ball away and he just doesn't realize he doesn't quite have enough time to cock that arm back and get it out of the end zone. That's fine, right? You can analyze the play itself. But then when you pull it back to your point, the macro is, but this keeps happening with some consistency, right? Happened in week one, happens here in week six. So at some point, you just have to look at it and say, listen, I don't know what the better version of this is, whether it's taking the sack, right? Pulling it down sooner and running. There's a lot of other options you have there. But if if you're throwing the ball out of the end zone, you better be throwing it out of the end zone. And even though in real time, you and I discussed, right? You said, terrible play, even though it's going to get overturned. And I I said, just before they came back, I go, it's not getting overturned, man. What you know, the NFL is fickle in this way, and I, I understand it. But when that call is made on the field, they really get into the weeds on if I can't a hundred percent overturn this thing with certainty, it's going to stand. So even though we all agree, elbow touch rate down on the white, etc., it's a bang bang hair splitting blade of the grass kind of play. So it ends up standing, and it shouldn't even exist, right? That play should not exist because Daniel Jones needs to make a better choice, a better decision, a quicker decision in that scenario. And, and you said it best. The reason we're angry because we care. And we, we're, you know what I mean? Like, like it's that it, bad it, report card when your kid comes home from school and you go, buddy, right. There's just, I certain, know you can do better. I know you can yeah. do better. It, and that's the point is that if we didn't think Daniel Jones could be the future for this franchise and be the next, you know, 10, 15 year starter for the giants, we wouldn't care. We would just say, yeah, that's the type of mistake this guy makes. We're waiting for the next quarterback to come in, but we don't feel that way. Like I am so angry when he does those things because I'm like, Oh, you do so many good things and you like extend plays and you make 50 yard runs at the quarterback position. Like that's amazing. And then like just a momentary lapse in judgment. I'm like, I'm angry because I care. Oh, a hundred percent, dude. It, that's why it's so brutal. And I think sometimes I get on with pessimistic Mike and he really starts brutalizing Daniel Jones. And I'm always like, no, no, listen, listen, listen. Here's the thing though. Here's why we don't, you know, I'm not going to send him to his room. He's I'm, I'm obviously going to give him dinner. I mean, maybe no dessert tonight, but no, he's still get. you know, come on buddy. And because I, I want him to do well and I don't want to be obviously even further behind the eight ball from a franchise perspective and thinking we need to still get ourselves a quarterback. We'll touch in a little bit more on that as the week moves along, obviously, and we'll look ahead on the short one to the Philly matchup. Let's get over to, of course, what is becoming a very popular segment here, and that's O-Snap, what we learned from the snap counts on Sunday. 
There's some nice ones here, and this will obviously tie back into something that happened in this game coming into it. That was a bit of a shakeup for the Giants on the offensive side of the ball. We can start there. Why not? On the left tackle position, Matt Pert gets a start here for Big Blue, plays uh, 54% of the snaps, so good for 26 snaps here in this game. That's predicated on uh, Andrew Thomas being late to a meeting. Uh, Joe Judge said after the game, listen, it's, it's you know I don't expect this to be a trend with him. It's not anything egregious, but it was just we have policies in place, and there are punishments for violating those policies. Thomas said it'll never happen again, understands why it was the case. So that's a big one, though. And when you go inside the offense here, you saw a handful of plays where when Thomas was on the field, it resulted in quicker, more pressure, faster getting at Daniel Jones. I don't know what you know Pert's going to look like in terms of how he rates out in this one. He combined nicely with Hernandez on a couple of power runs as well. And it's something to keep an eye on here. I don't know if this is, and now Pert needs to start at left tackle. I'm not going that extreme, but I do love the sample size from Pert. And I like that we're at least getting a sense of what he can be for us, whatever that looks like going forward. Well, so there was a couple of scouts actually early on in the draft process said, in an ideal world, you, your your future offensive line has Andrew Thomas at right tackle and Matt Pert at left tackle. Mm-hmm. And the reason why is because Andrew Thomas, uh, not necessarily as athletic as Pert is. Pert is a former basketball player. He showed you know that athleticism was on full display when he, when he got out there. Long and arms. Oh, man. He, he is a big boy. Like, you think Andrew Thomas is big. Then you see Pert, you're like, wow. Yeah. Like, he's really? like. So they had a uh, they had a segment on SNY or wherever they show it, you know, meet the Giants. They were doing some charity work. It was fantastic. It was Blake Martinez and it was Pert and they were interviewing him and they pop him up on the screen. And I'm talking like this dude broad as a barn, like he just looks enormous. And it's, it's the last thing you're supposed to be, you know, thinking about in terms of, oh, this guy's going to be a great football player. But I just saw him and I was like, ooh. Get that guy on the field. I, I don't know what's going to look like. Put him out there. I need to see this dude just manhandling somebody. Well, and, and the uh, disciplinary action against Thomas might actually be a blessing in disguise in the long-term future of the Giants because mm-hmm. you don't want to necessarily shake Andrew Thomas's confidence by yanking him off the field saying that he's the problem even though he's given up the most uh, pressures and the second most sacks in the, in the league. Um, but this gave us an opportunity to see what – someone else would do in that position. It mm-hmm. gives him a wake-up call to say, there are other people on this roster that may be able to fill into these spots. It also probably took the Washington football team by surprise. They were expecting to see Thomas. They know he's been overcommitting to the outside. They were probably planning on doing some inside swim moves. All of a sudden, Pert's out there. You're like, I don't even have that much tape on this guy. Where do I go? And so it kind of was a blessing for the Giants to be able to test someone else out there, get some reps for, for uh, you know a young, promising player like Pert, while also throwing the Washington football team's defense off uh, just a little bit. So overall, I, I thought that was interesting. I thought, um, you know, as we got later in the game, I thought Thomas did settle in a little bit more, which is good. Um, you know, when the when the bench, bench is, benchmark is not that high to begin with, you know, he performed adequately later on in the game. But it'll be interesting to see what happens on Thursday. Does Do they just automatically slot Andrew Thomas back in that left tackle position and say, hey, this is a one-off, no big deal, or – do we see kind of an evolution of what this line is going to look like? Yeah, and I very quickly will say, I, I think when I step back, 
regardless of my personal opinion, we had debated this a long time. I think the Giants really coming into this year wanted to have Nate Solder there at left tackle, and they wanted to have Cam Fleming at right tackle, and they wanted to have two veterans with two rookies learning behind them and then seeing how that developed and making that decision at the right point of the season, especially when you think about some of those matchups that Andrew Thomas has had to take on early in the year. So, you know, right, wrong, and different how I felt about it. I think that that's the model they wanted to follow, and then Solder opts out. We understand why. That kind of changes the dynamic there and all of a sudden you start to scramble and think well do we put Fleming over there do you know how do we shuffle this if we don't start Thomas at left tackle what are people going to say about that etc etc so keep an eye on it see how it develops and who knows maybe situationally we could see Pert still get utilized at left or right tackle because he did show the ability to be adequate right out of the gates there uh, coming into a starting opportunity and really having basically a split of the reps there with Thomas Other quick notes around the snap counts. Uh, Obviously, we highlighted this last time. Tight end Evan Ingram played 81% of the snaps. Caden Smith, almost up to 50% of those snaps now. So we thought that this is kind of going to be where we're trending here, reducing his numbers a little bit. That is Evan Ingram and elevating some of the other tight ends. Evan Ingram stays right in the same spot that he did from the week prior, but this is actually a little bump up, another handful of reps for Caden Smith. And we've seen that value. Little dump off to the right side, able to scramble for eight yards, just made one guy miss listen he's not a super athlete but he is agile and quick and then also that big third down conversion so some things to like there the other big news for me of course is going to be tay crowder elevated obviously gets a start here 85 percent of the snaps for him so you love what you're getting there no pun intended in transition you also saw julian love get a huge number of reps there uh 86 in this one as well so these guys are getting back onto the field here which is really what you like to see because again we didn't know what does it look like for some of the younger players we're not getting big sample sizes on valentine anymore at those roles he settled into having some chances there on special teams but I, I just like what i'm seeing overall here across the offense and the defensive side of the ball obviously matt got his first little taste there in this one as well and then that footnote that i mentioned offensively gallman just down to four snaps in this one so it looks like we're trending in the direction of it really being the Devonte freeman show in that backfield and trying to build the offense in off and around that yeah the, the caden smith numbers are interesting and they make me excited because whenever we see Caden Smith's snap count go up, generally to me, what that relates to is the Giants' ability to run the football and the Giants' ability to be in the game. You know, he's probably not going to see it as many sets with Evan Ingram on the field when the Giants need to throw the ball vertically. They're down two touchdowns and they're trying to make a comeback. But if we're dictating how things are happening on the ground, then we're in a really good spot. So Mm -hmm. uh, I, I, but to me, I'm really excited about seeing Caden Smith's numbers go up. If he gets up to 60 65%, it really does mean that the line is controlling the game and our rushing attack is working. So if we can do that, that's a win for me. You better believe it, man. And we're going to analyze that a little bit more in the middle of the week here, though this is going to be unique because we'll go right into our matchup preview and then our Friday show becomes our wrap-up. It's going to be weird. It's a weird one on this Thursday night game. We'll get out the door here on this. We highlighted it, some disagreement over what the Giants were doing over the course of this one. By the way, on that scramble up the gut that Daniel Jones had that got them down to the two where I think they could have gone for it there on fourth down, I would have said, hey, you're two yards out. Let's try to get that touchdown from in close. It was Andrew Thomas who is supposed to, as they described it on the broadcast, give a slap in the back to Chase Young and then get up the field to help with the blocking. Instead, he stays with Chase Young, one less offensive lineman blocking. Maybe Jones gets automatically in there. You didn't like the fourth down play from the 38. They take a delay game penalty to get a little more room on 
on the punt, but you thought they should have gone for it there. I understand, you know, percentages. Let's get a little more Riverboat Ron and Joe Judge. But but I think that from both an offensive play calling standpoint, from Jason Garrett, a lot of you know, 18 runs for Devontae Freeman. I think the Giants saw this game even though it got closer than we anticipated. I really think throughout the Giants thought just consistency and smart decision-making. Let's not put our defense potentially in a difficult spot with how well they're playing. Let's avoid any of those big risks and and allow our team to hopefully get a victory just by being smart, right? Yeah, I mean, I didn't like that we took that delay of game instead of going for it on fourth down. The game was tied. There was like, I don't know, what was there, like nine, nine minutes, ten minutes left in the game. It felt like if sometimes I feel like coaches – are worried about the byproduct of their decision in terms of what people are going to think rather than trying to go win the game. Like a decision to not go for it there felt like Joe judge was trying to not lose the game as opposed to go out and win the game, right? Like don't make the critical mistake here that gives the Redskins the chance to win as opposed to our team can get one yard in a critical situation to give us a significantly better chance to win. If they get that fourth down, They are in field goal range. They are Mm -hmm. almost guaranteeing themselves points on the board to take the lead against the Redskins team in the fourth quarter. So for me, I looked at and I said, man, we're just hoping to not lose the game. Now, granted, the Giants defense did exactly what Joe Judge was hoping for and and got the ball back uh, very quickly. So so it ended up working out for the Giants. But to me, I I do like, you know, coaches that are a little bit more aggressive. I, I, you know, you say it about players. If players are going to be, really putting all that effort out there and they're going a million miles an hour and they're playing aggressive. You have no, you have no qualms at the end of the day saying, Oh, we lost the game or he he couldn't get there. He couldn't make the play, but at least we tried, at least we were going for it. And the only reason why I, 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 I dismiss it a little bit is because we've seen them go for it on fourth downs throughout the season already. So I think Joe judge is willing to take those risks. And again, I think he's allowing the game to dictate what he chooses to do there, but I do get it right. You want the aggressive play. And I think as you move through the season, you may see that more as they get more confident in the offensive line. Cause we've seen some of those little QB sneaks that have really looked disastrous or running plays. So, you know, mitigating again, what could be a big play if you get it could end up being a real black mark. If it looks like an ugly, couldn't quite figure it out offensively. Right, but but th- think of it like this. So the Redskin, uh, the Washington think of it like this. team, the Was- Washington <laughs> FT comes down and scores a touchdown with 25, 30 seconds left on the clock. And Riverboat Ron says, let's go win this game on the road. Like, we've got nothing to lose. Like, we are full steam ahead. And the whole team is like, yep, we're totally doing this. And guess what? It did not work out. They did not get the two-point conversion. But no one today is waking up saying, Ron Rivera made the wrong decision. He went out there and was like, I wanted to win this football game for our team. And everyone's sitting there going, yeah, okay, fair, fair, right? So like, that's the type of decision that I like from a coach to say like, I believe in my players, we are going for it. And I will assume the consequences after that. 100% the Washington football team are also looking to have the number one overall pick because they don't have a quarterback on their roster right now. So, you know, there is that element of it. I think if I want to go silver lining, the Giants still believe in Daniel Jones. So they're more worried about winning games, which pivots quickly here as we get out the door, friends. We really don't do a lot of posting over on Twitter during the game because Andy and I just get pretty locked into it. And we we like to kind of just get lost for better or worse in the game action. But I did check in with it, just visually seeing what was going on over there. I'm going to tell you right now, Either be on board with being a Giants fan and supporting the team or don't. 
because I don't want to have these conversations around, well, great job. Yeah, you won the game and you just cost us Trevor Lawrence or throughout the game, checking in and being disastrous play there. What is this particular player on defense thinking there? Why is he doing that? Then you get an interception and it's, that's my boy. Look at that big play. Great scoop by Tay Crowder or offensively. Oh, Andrew Thomas is a disaster. Nice block on that. You know, I just, I cannot stand the, the pendulum swing you used it earlier. I just can't stand the pendulum swinging fandom where guys that are, spend the entire game calling out everything they hate about the Giants and then on the back end of it go, how about a heck yeah, won the game. You know, it's like, dude, get off the train, man. You want to tank and lose, go for it. But what I want every year, this is the way I'm going to approach it. And you can say that it's the wrong way in terms of building a roster. I want the team to win games. I want to see young players do well. And I want to feel good about the guys that we have on the roster. That's the mentality that I have. I, I know it's yours as well. So it is the official OGP mentality. I have zero energy for the way some people talk around the roster. Be a fan and support the team. Don't be, do not be the Johnny bandwagon as things are going one direction or the other over the course of an hour of football. It's ridiculous. And I wrote, I wrote, you know, I tweeted out last night, um, you know, some fans are not going to be happy with this win, but I'm going to sleep very nicely. I put my head down on the pillow and I said, the team played hard. They did what they needed to do to get a W. And like my, my life's motto is take the wins when you can get them. Like in anything in life, whether it's small or big, this was a victory for the giants. They're starting to come together as a team. Joe judge got his first win. If you're like the, the problem is, the people that are upset for the Giants winning the game are the people that if the Giants lost and they look terrible would still be critical of the Giants. And it's like, so what would you want the Giants to do? Do you want them to stink really, really bad like the Jets are and bottom out and, and get zero points and have an absolutely miserable, miserable three months? Or do you want them to show fight, see players that you want to build and develop and maybe be excited and happy on a Monday morning every now and then? Like, I, I don't, it, to me, it's crazy it's like yeah sacrifice a month of, you know a, a whole entire season of being happy so we could get this guy trevor lawrence and it's like why can't you just watch the game root for the team instead of being the general manager and worried about who we're drafting in in, in nine months it's like it's it's crazy we're, we're not even halfway through the season yet right the Giants are one game out of the playoffs i know no one wants to hear that i know nobody wants to hear that but if the giants go in and they beat philadelphia and the cowboys lose tonight the giants are a baby and and all those fans that are like Fool's gold, who cares, all this different stuff. I don't care because guess what? The numbers speak for themselves. If the Giants beat Philadelphia and the Cowboys lose tonight, Monday Night Football, the Giants are tied for the division. I don't know how many different ways I can say it, and it just rubs people the wrong way. They're like, a 2-5 and five team shouldn't be leading division. Get over it. That's the division. That's the division. <laughs> That's what's happening right now. And by the and by the way, so it's been you heard it from the players after the game, the energy, the excitement. Like Joe Judge said it, like this is an important game for this team to win because they've been working so hard. And if you don't get that, then you start to lose the locker room. Then you start to lose players. Then people start to check out, right? Then it gets even harder to find a way to continue to develop the talent and evaluate the talent and know what you have going into next year and what do you need in the draft class. Like all of those little details play out when you really put out the effort on Sunday. And just across the stadium, you see a team that shipped off one of their defensive tackles last night because they are now in fire sale mode like that's not what i want from the giants I, there's some pieces i wouldn't mind them moving but i don't want to see them burning down the house here because i like the players that are on this team and i believe that there is a nice baseline here for this team to have success let's not trend negative you can follow us at one giant podcast you can use the hashtag ogp over on sportscaster to find both our live streams as well as our podcast episodes 
This was a great win. The Giants get their first win of the season. Joe Judge gets his first win as a head coach in the NFL, 20-19, an enormous victory. I'm excited. I can't wait to see what happens tonight with the Dallas Cowboys. And even if they get the win, I'll still take the W for Big Blue. That's what it's about for us every single week throughout the season. We'll be back in on Wednesday, previewing the Thursday night game against Philadelphia. Until then, Andy Makowitz wants, needs, and demands that you know. As always, let's go Big Blue. Thanks.